I want to uh, thank uh, this congregation, first of all, for the Jubilee, 50 years of standing with us, praying for us, supporting us, uh, worrying about us. And uh, it's a real privilege, I said it before, we look at this congregation, the North Boulevard Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, as being our home congregation in the United States. And uh, I am sorry that David Young is sick and wasn't able to be here. We were planning to have an interview question and answer series. And you know, we Jews uh, don't play football so well, <laughs> basketball so well, but we're champion in arguing. <laughs> and that's our national sport. So I like to, uh, to be with David and discuss and argue and answer questions. It's a privilege. I didn't say it in the first service. The seminar this afternoon will be a special seminar on the story of Joseph. Why? This Sabbath, all the synagogues in the world read the beginning of the story of Joseph from Genesis 37 till Genesis 34. And, uh, and I, uh, I like to use those text, those stories about Joseph for three reasons. One is, look, all of us something, sometimes suffer from hate. People hate us sometimes without any good reason, without any cause. Uh, I don't know how it is now, but there were years if you said in an evangelical setting, I'm from the Church of Christ, you weren't appreciated very much. Yeah, and uh, so the story of Joseph is a great story, a tool to encourage those that suffer, suffer from injustice, suffer from uh, their own family sometimes, and from their friends, and they rise above, and the formulas of how to do it are in these stories, and that's what the seminar was going to be this afternoon. But this morning, after prayer, a, a song uh, that was ringing in my ears, I don't know, I hope it's still sung, I love that song. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. So my theme, somebody from our congregation is trying to wish us Shabbat Shalom. Every week this old lady, sick old lady calls us to wish us Shabbat Shalom. She didn't realize that we are in here in the States now. Uh, I'm not going to answer her, but I hope she doesn't keep on calling. She's somewhat on a, of a nudnik. And sometimes she keeps calling too much time. If, if she keeps calling, I'll just tell her, Sarit, not now. <laughs> um, so, this, this idea is actually repeated more times 
by the mouth of Jesus than any other phrase. It is the most repeated phrase in the Gospels. Follow me. Jesus said, follow me more times than any other phrase repeatedly. So I decided to only take the Gospel of Matthew, and the reason for that is uh, time. The reason for that is time. And uh, it appears in Mark. Some of that are parallel. And in Luke, some of those are parallel. And in John, there are some special ones. I hope I have time to share the, the three examples from John. The first time that Jesus says to his disciples, follow me, is in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And that short, it says, and he said to them, to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's a very interesting text because actually part of it is a quotation from the book of Genesis, which Christians don't discover mainly because of the translations. There's only one of the literal translations, I forgot what it's called, EVS or something like that, or simple English that, that hit, hit it right. Uh, most of the old translations didn't hit it right because they didn't know that the people who translated the Greek didn't know Hebrew so well. And so they didn't associate the text from Genesis chapter 20, uh, 48, verse 16. In the Genesis chapter 48, verse 16, say, I, I am reading it. The angel who redeemed me from, my, from all evil blessed the boys, the lads, let the, my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the land. But the word multitude in the Hebrew text is fish. Why did they translate fish as multitude? Because they didn't understand the culture and the context. And uh, fish, of course, when they spawn eggs, when they lay eggs, it's by the hundreds and by the thousands, the fish eggs. So what did Jacob mean on his deathbed when he said, that Abraham and Isaac grew by fishing. Well, if we go back to Genesis 12, uh, we have the list of the people that joined Abraham, left Haran. Let's say Haran is New York. Big city, famous city. Not much of it is left after the wars in, As in, in Syria in the last few years. Assad bombed Haran, which is Aleppo if in the English, uh, to smithereens. But Abraham came to Haran from Ur. His family came from Ur, which is like Mexico City. It was a huge city. Haran was also a big city. And with, with him came Sarah, his wife. 
and Lot, his nephew, and Lot's men came with Abraham. But there is another phrase there, and the souls which he had made in Haran. It's a Hebrew idiom. To make souls is to evangelize, to convert people, to make souls. And the souls which he made, how many souls came with Abraham from Haran? In chapter 14 of Genesis, we are told that he had 318 men, soldiers, between the age of 20 and 50. They followed Abraham from Haran to the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan was not a, a good place. I, God said in, the, in John, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that no one would perish. Look, if I was loving my children, the last place I would send them is to the land of Canaan. Yeah, I send them to Switzerland. It's a much better neighborhood. The <laughs> land of Canaan was a big mess. We read in the book of Genesis that there were seven Canaanite nations that came from, some of them from far away in Asia, from Kazakhstan, others from far away in Europe, others from Turkey, from Anatolia, like the Hittites. And we have their names, the Hittites, the Prezites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, all seven nations. And they were fighting with each other. Each one caught himself a city-state, and they were jockeying for control of the roads, of the powers, of the water, of, of everything else. It was not a pleasant place. So these men that came with Abraham, they wouldn't have come with Abraham because Abraham left the idols and believed in one God, creator of the world, that was not seen and had no, no picture or no statue. So these men, between the age of 20 to 50, if they had one child and one wife, that would make it close to a 1,000 people that Abraham evangelized, and they followed him to the land of Canaan. Good evangelist. Good evangelist. So Jesus said, if you follow me, you will be fishers of men. You'll be evangelists. You'll be making souls. That's a, a very powerful statement. Because if you follow somebody, you emulate him. I remember the preachers in the 1950, no, 1960s, in South Georgia. You knew who was a preacher by the kind of pants they wore. They all used to wear Sansa belt. I'm not joking, it was the fashion for preachers to wear Sansa belt pa pants. In Jerusalem, you knew if you meet an Orthodox Jew by the clothing he wear, you can tell which rabbi he's following because he's buying his clothes in the same shop that the rabbi bought. And if the rabbi came from Hungary and he got his hat from a shop in a little village in Hungary, 
that disciple wants to be so much like his rabbi, he buys the hat from the same shop that the rabbi bought in Hungary. To follow somebody is to want to be like them. To follow Jesus is to want to be like them. But this is a command in some of the texts. We read from the first text, which is Matthew, Ma Matthew 4.19. The second text is from chapter 8, verse 22. It's a hard text. Jesus said to, to the person who wanted to follow him, person wanted to follow him and said, but just a minute, I have somebody dead in my family. Let me go and bury the dead, then come and follow you. Jesus said, no, let the dead follow the dead and you come and follow me now. And we don't understand this phrase, the dead bury the dead, because if you, if you look at concordance, how the dead, the word dead is used, it's used for those who are dead in their trespasses, that their sins have never been forgiven. That's in Ephesians chapter 2, I think verse 6, 5, before verse 11 in chapter 2, talking to the Gentiles. You were dead in your trespasses before, but now through the blood of Jesus Christ, you are no longer dead. You've come to life. You've been joined to the commonwealth of Israel. You have eternal hope. You have the covenants in the plural, not in the singular. All these things which you didn't have when you were dead in your trespasses, now you have them through the blood of Jesus. That's what Paul. But this phrase appears several times, and the dead are those unbelievers who have never joined with Jesus have never had their sins forgiven, let them worry about the dead. We, as disciples of Jesus, we don't have a right to dishonor the dead, but we have more important agenda than burial of, of the dead. We have to worry about the living ones so that they don't die and the worms eat them and who knows where their soul goes. I don't want to say yeah, I'm trying to be a nice Jew. <laughs> and, and so Jesus said, if you want to follow me, put your priorities where they count. Burying the dead is burying the dead, okay. But it's more important to take care of the living right now. Those that are suffering, those that have needs, those that need the gospel, yeah? More important. The dead will get buried. Somebody will bury them. You're not the only member of the family of this dead. You occupy yourself. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, occupy yourself with the living. Let the dead bury the dead. Then, the next time that we hear about follow me, comes from Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Jesus passed on before there, from there, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. 
So he rose and followed him. This is, I think, is a fascinating text. First of all, tax collectors are not light people. They're heavy people. Have you ever seen a skinny tax collector? <laughs> they're heavy people, but they're heavy personalities too because their job doesn't bring them a lot of encouragement. Who goes to the tax collector and wants to encourage him? And, and so this tax collector called Matthew sees this Galilean Jew, and the Galilean Jew comes to him as a stranger and says, follow me. And he gets up, leaves his office, leaves his tax table, and follows this stranger. Something must have been there in the chemistry, in the dynamics, to convince this tax collector to leave his job. I, don't, I wish I was there and I would see it myself with my own eyes, but I, I'm not there, I'm here. And I'm 2,000 years on this side of history, yeah? But Jesus must have had a very magnetic personality, a personality that inspired such trust when he was alive before the cross, such trust, such challenge, that the tax collector Matthew got up and followed him right there, left his job, left everything, and followed him. I, I heard about Che Guevara, that he was that kind of magnetic personality, that people that were strangers, you know, would meet him and would follow him. Because Jesus is here meeting a tax collector. The tax collector leaves everything, his job, and he follows Jesus. You have to be very strong motivation to do that. And I said to myself, what is this motivation that could cause a tax collector to leave? Well, first of all, I think that the whole tax collecting business was hated by the Jews because these tax collectors were not working for the Jewish government. They were working for the Roman occupation. And it was a, a job that was acquired in an auction. You were auctioned the job, and anything that you could raise above what the requirement is, is yours. So if you had to give the Roman per head, let's say, $100, and you raised $150, the $50 is yours. They were rich, and they were hated. How do we know that they were hated? From another tax collector, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And the people were not so kind to him. They didn't let him come to the front. He was short. They didn't let him come to the front of the line, uh, in, on the parade route on the street to see Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus bad enough. He climbed on the, on the tree. 
Now, if you ever visit Jericho, the guides will show you a tree. There is only one sycamore tree left in Jericho. And they tell you, this is the tree that Zach here. Don't believe it, that tree is not that old. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, that, that text fascinates me from all these texts of follow me. Because this tax collector must have not liked his job. Must have felt guilty. And here is a man that is offering you forgiveness of sins, atonement. He said, for this, I'm willing to leave my job. For what this man promises me, I'm willing to leave my job. I don't want to be considered a sinner. I don't want to be considered by my society as somebody evil that gains from the suffering of my people. I'll follow this man. I believe him. It's a fascinating short text. The next time, in chapter 10, the last one nine, was 9-9, nine, nine. now in chapter 10, verse 38. Jesus says this, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Another very te heavy text. What does it mean in practice? In practice, it means this, folks, if you're not willing to suffer for the gospel, if you want gospel deluxe, Christianity deluxe, yeah, which is now the, vo the, the vogue of American evangelical Christianity. What they promise you is that if you give money to the, to the pastor, to the church, all of you are going to be tall, blonde, with hair on your heads, happy, prosperous, and rich. And a wife with big eyelashes and blonde. That, that's what uh, evangelical Christianity promises today on television, on Christian television. You know it's the, the wife with big lashes and blonde, right? Okay. <laughs> so, no, Jesus said no. No. If you want to be my disciple and gain the inheritance that I will leave behind of salvation, redemption, eternal life, eternal hope, and a better life now because you'll be keeping God's commandments, a better life, a cleaner life, then you got to come and be willing to suffer with me. There is no success in any profession without suffering. I don't care what you are, a professor, a doctor, a nurse, a cobbler, a tinker, a tailor, I don't care what you are. If you are going to be success in anything, it's going to be requiring from you to suffer. Till you get up to the top, the staircase is very steep in any profession. 
So Jesus says to his disciples, you want to take up your cross and follow me? If not, you're not worthy. It's not worthy for me to spend my time with you if you're looking for a deluxe ice cream, 31 flavors, Christianity. That's the implication of this text. You know, we sing, I've decided to follow Jesus. How far have you decided? You want to follow him into the church and then from there to the parking lot and leave him in the church? No. You got to take him with you. He's going to be your guide. He's going to be your matrix. He's going to be the one who decides where you will go. There were the old missionary songs, I will go wherever you lead me, right? Very few people went. That little country, Korea, has more missionaries in the world, including the United States, than all the missionaries of all the denominations in the United States. Small churches sent 1,000 missionaries. And you know who the best missionary is? The Jews. Nobody is as good a missionary as, as the Chabad movement, as the Jews. They support you two years. In two years, you've got to find your own support. The synagogue no longer supports you. You've got to find your own supporters by converting them, converting rich Gentiles to Orthodox Judaism, and they will be your supporters. If you don't succeed after two years, go back to your profession. Do whatever you want to do, but we're not going to support you because you're not successful. Matthew 16, verse 24. And Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself. It's not easy. It's not easy. Every one of us sings, Mama yo quiero, Mama yo quiero, Mama yo quiero una chupeta. I want, Mama, I want, I want a, a lollipop. Okay? That's what this song is about. We want, and whatever we want, we uh, have a hard time saying no to ourselves. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to learn to say no to yourself, to control your desires, deny yourself. It's not easy. I mean, my son is here, my wife is here. They know how hard it is for me. My son started collecting pens which he was getting from some uh, shop that he was helping with their web page. He was getting them for free. And he, he gave me some and started me collecting. And now I surpassed it, but not because somebody gave me. It's because I wanted and I paid for them. And it was hard for me to see a beautiful pen, Mont Blanc or something like that, limited edition, and not buy it. Okay? It's hard to deny ourselves, folks. But 
it's a question of our priorities. It's a question of our priorities. So Jesus says, if your priority is not me, you're not worth it. You're not worth it. If, if I am not your priority, you're not worth it. It's hard, but it's necessary, folks, because we do want to follow Jesus. Because he's our rabbi, not only our savior, not only did he sacrifice ourselves, he has given us lessons for life, for happiness, for satisfaction. You know, I've had the good fortune, the bad fortune. We have some rich people in our congregation in Jerusalem, rich Jews. You know what? They're the most miserable people in our congregation. I hope they hear me. Yeah? They're the most miserable people in our congregation, and almost everybody in the congregation wishes they wouldn't come. But they come in a wheelchair, but they come. We love them, but I'm telling you, it's hard to learn to deny yourself. It's hard to pick up the cross. I feel fortunate that I've had to pick up the cross several times where I was beaten and threatened and attempted to be killed more than once. The first time it happened, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this story. I, was, I had just finished rabbinical school and uh, went to visit a dear brother, a, a survivor of the Holocaust, and I had three of my disciples, Jewish disciples that were soldiers with me that wanted to visit with Joseph Wachter, with the old Jew. And I went down to say hello to the rabbinical college where I attended to say to the rabbi. And the rabbi had sent two thugs, big boys, American boys, and they beat the pulp out of me. They tore my suit. They broke my nose. They, I was bleeding all over and uh, sore all over. They kicked me in the ribs and broke some of my ribs. And so I went limping up to Joseph, to the old Orthodox Jew's house. And the, the three soldiers said, what happened to you? I said, some boys from the yeshiva beat me up. What do they look like? Before I could say Jack Robinson, they left. They went there, and I barely went to the yeshiva. When I got to the yeshiva, one of the Menachem was holding one of the guys that beat me up off the floor from the neck against the wall, and the legs, the legs of that boy were dangling below. And he was just about to take the butt of his uh, gun, of his Uzi, and just whap him with the Uzi, butt of the Uzi right in the face. I said, Menachem, let him down. The rabbi was there, the whole yeshiva was there. I said, let him down in the name of Jesus. Menachem let him down. Silence was in the room. Because they expected to be beaten back. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I forgive you. Well, that boy today is a rabbi. I was with the, with the Lipscomb group 
Last time that they were in Jerusalem, students, graduate students, uh, not, not, some graduates, some not graduates, Scott Sager, who is one of my disciples, uh, brought, has been bringing groups to Israel. And so this boy that's, uh, that, that beat me up is now one of the rabbis in the yeshiva. We were going out of the Zion Gate with the group of the Lipscomb students, and he came, Joseph, and he hugged me and he kissed me. He said, I want you to come and lecture to the, to the students in, in the yeshiva. The same boy that beat me up. If he would have gotten that butt of the Ruzi in his face, and we haven't for, wouldn't have forgiven him, and bear the, 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 he would not have come and hugged me and, and invited me to come and lecture in his yeshiva. Because this is, this is what it means, follow me. There was the question that when I was in Georgia Christian, that, we, that Bill Long told us to ask, would Jesus do what you want to do? If you could say yes, do it. If you could say no, Jesus wouldn't do it, try not to do it. That means to follow me, be like me. That's what it is. So that's Matthew 19. Uh, no, that was Matthew 16. Matthew 19, verse 21. Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go sell all what you have and give it to the poor, and, and I will have treasure in heaven. No, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and then follow me. Now, it's an interesting situation. This young lawyer came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? Jesus said, keep the commandments. He said, I, I'm already doing this. Jesus said, good that you're doing this, but it's not enough. You got to take that ultimate self-sacrifice. You've got to, the thing that is blocking you from feeling secure. You could get to heaven rich. You're rich in this world. You could be rich also uh, spiritually and go to heaven. You don't have to be poor to be saved. Yeah? But if that riches is the thing that blocks you, if that's your stumbling block, then you have to get rid of that riches. If you're so in... Uh, insecure in your walk with God, in your walk with Jesus, because of your riches, get rid of your riches. That's what Jesus said. You want to follow me? You could be secure in your faith, in your relationship to God, in your relationship to Jesus, and rich still, it's okay. But if that is what's blocking your security, if you're insecure enough to say, I'm keeping the commandments, and I'm still not secure. Then get rid of what's blocking your security, what your trust in God. All these things are not easy. Same chapter, verse 28. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, in the resurrection from the dead, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me, you who have followed me, 
will also sit on the 12 seats judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So if you follow Jesus, you've got a great future ahead of you, not here in the earth only, but also in the new kingdom, in the new Jerusalem, in the new earth. You have a great future. There are grades of salvation, folks. Paul talks about some will be saved like stubble, some like wood, and some like gold will be refined. Yeah? I, I have never wanted to be last and just get by. Yeah? I was the least of the students in my class, the runt, the weakest kid, until an Arab student that stole Jordanian money because my father left Jordanian money. He used to go to Jordan in and out in his job. He left Jordanian money on the table, and I went to the school, which was the first school that integrated Jews and Arabs together in Jerusalem. And I wanted to schwitz, to show off to my Arab students that I have Arab money. And I showed off to one of the students. He grabbed the money, started running toward his village. And I knew if I don't have that money when I come home, my father is going to hang me. Yeah, he's going to beat me up badly. In those days, it was allowed. Dan, in those days, it was allowed to beat your children. <laughs> yeah. Today, you, you touch your child, you go to jail. <laughs> in Israel, especially. And so... Uh, I ran after him. I knocked on the door. His mother came. I said, your son is a thief. She went and brought her son, holding his ear up in the air like that. And he was crying. And every time, boom, she was hitting him in the back of the head. And so he gave me the money and apologized. I thought I would leave, but I didn't leave. She grabbed me by the hand, put me on the table, and said, now you're going to make peace, forgiveness. Sulcha in Arabic. And she set me down. She got a big, big pot of stuffed grape leaves. Very big delicacy in the Middle East. She turned it over a stainless steel tray, lifted it, and said, Now you eat. The next morning, his name is Samich. Uh, the next morning, Samir got on a chair in the class before the teacher came in and said, from now on, and he was the tough kid in the class, the big kid in the class, and from now on, anybody has any dealing with Joseph Shulam, he has to go through me. He is under my protection. And, and that continued way even past my army service. And our families became close. Barry's babysitter, first babysitter, was Samir's sister, an Arab-Palestinian girl. Right? What was her name? Huh? I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear. I, I don't have my hearing aids. <laughs> okay. So, Samira? Rasmia. Her was her name. Anyway, so we had an Arab-Palestinian girl babysitting our children. <coughs> yes. And, and, 
And uh, yes, th this principle that, that Jesus says to his disciples here is very true. It's very true. We have, it should cost us to follow Jesus. Emotionally, sometimes financially, sometimes in other ways, in political ways. Yeah? So, yes, following Jesus is not easy, and we sing it. But most of the denominations don't follow Jesus. If you ask them, who started your church? Oh, Martin Luther. Who started your church? Oh, well, Calvin. Who started your church? Well, Menno. Well, and some Churches of Christ members also are confused with this. Who started our church? Calvin? Luther? Campbell? Maybe W.B. Stone? Maybe Raccoon John Smith? No! I don't belong to that church. I love those people. I studied them. I appreciate them. But no, I belong to the church of Jesus Christ and not Latter-day Saints, the now saints. <laughs> the now saints. So following Jesus, we're getting close. Uh, I'm going to share with you one text. John also has several texts that I told you, the phrase, follow me, is the most repeated faith phrase from the mouth of Jesus in the four Gospels. More times than any other phrase, follow me. But I'm going to use only one from John. John 8, verse 12. And Jesus spoke to, the, to them, to his disciples, and said this, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have light of life, or everlasting light for his life. This, this is a fascinating text. Why is it fascinating? Because it says he will not walk in darkness. Which means, if, if I take the logical implications, he who doesn't follow Jesus is walking in darkness. That's the implication of this text. He who doesn't follow Jesus is walking in darkness. We don't want to be there. We want to follow Jesus and walk in his light. Amen. Now and forever. Amen. God bless all of you. Thank you. This is the 50th anniversary. I hope I have another at least 10 more years for 60th anniversary. Thank you.